Great to have you all here this morning. We finished up our festival sharing, had a great time here. It was crazy. This entire parking lot was filled with people and a lot of fun. As we enjoyed that, I guess what I was reminded is of the need for us to not simply sit back and allow evil to triumph, but to step up and try to do something good, to to stand against that which is trying to do uh, that which is horrible and terrible. And oftentimes Halloween is just that. So we don't want to just ignore it and act like it's not there. We want to respond and provide something better. And so I want to thank all of you. There were at least 60 people, 70 people involved. Thank you so very much. Great job. Great job. Great job. You know, we're in the Gospel of John. I want you to turn to John chapter 19. We have walked through 18 chapters in which John was speaking to us and trying to help us understand who Jesus was how he lived, and how that affects each one of us personally. He clarifies to us this wondrous new term that I refer to as true truth, where Jesus says, my purpose in coming here was to clarify to everybody what the truth is concerning who God is, concerning what sin is, and concerning how I will deal with those particular issues and allow you to have a relationship with God and to enter into his Rest. In fact, today we're going to talk about is two things. We're going to talk about finishing. We're going to talk about resting, about finishing and about resting in our line today. All I want you to walk away with, you say, what did Pastor Lee talk about today? All you need to say is he talked about it is finished. Okay. so can you say that it is finished? Good. Now you can go home. I'm not finished yet, but I will be. And by the time we get to the end of this. I hope you all will have that sense of excitement and joy that I have as a result of what God has taught me studying through these particular scriptures. Uh, Let's start with a simple illustration about death. A little while back, a famous TV show, well, let's do it this way. There are four characters in this TV show. I'm going to name all four of them, and I want you to tell me what the show is. Okay, you ready? First, Bert and Ernie, don't say anything. The Cookie Monster. Don't say anything. Big Bird. Who was? Sesame Sesame Street. Very good. Very good. Earlier on in Sesame Street, there was a particular character that was very, very loved. His name was called Mr. Hooper. Mr. Hooper died. After he died, they found themselves in a quandary. How do we respond to all these six million kids who are watching this show, most of which are under the age of six, and help them deal with the simple, obvious issue that Mr. Hooper died. How are we going to deal with this? So as they began to share together on this issue, they consulted with some child psychologists how this should handle it, and they said, you do not say Mr. Hooper got sick and died because children get sick And then they think they're going to die. Okay, so we won't do that. They said, don't say Mr. Hooper got old and died because they think their parents are old and then they'll all die. Don't go there. They said, okay, we're not going to do that. What shall we do? They said, we don't say Mr. Hooper went to heaven because we don't believe that. 
Remember, this is a secular show. So what we will say is simple. We will say he's gone and he won't be back. He's gone and he won't be back. So the day of the show, Big Bird comes out of the stage. He has a picture for Mr. Hooper and he couldn't wait to see him. And someone said, Big Bird, remember we told you that Mr. Hooper died. And Big Bird said, oh, yeah, I forgot. He said, well, I'll give it to him. When he comes back. And they responded to him. They said with their arm around Big Bird. Big Bird. Mr. Hooper isn't coming back. Why not? Big Bird said. And they responded. Big Bird when people die. They don't come back. True. Absolutely, totally, completely true. Except for one particular person. His name was what? Yeah, Jesus died, but then he rose and he came back. But not only that, he's coming back again to clarify who he is, what he has done, and who his followers are sesame seed is a secular show it's public what's that did i say sesame street what did i say sesame seed you sure sure get over it it's public television they're not promoting god they're not helping people to get to heaven They definitely don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't believe you gain new life. They don't understand the new promises. But they're not the only ones who believe that way. The entire 19th chapter of John is devoted to this simple truth. Jesus died. Now, someone says, well, why does he spend an entire chapter explaining to us in detail how he was crucified, the process by which he was crucified, exactly how he died, and how it was verified that he died. Because he wants you to understand that Jesus died, but he came back. That he experienced death to its fullest, but he came back. That in his death, he provides for us the ability... To gain forgiveness of our sins and fulfillment of a brand new set of promises in our life with God and with one another. So, the strong, strong primary verse in this is simple, and it's what we said before. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, Jesus said, It is finished, and he gave up. His spirit. And at that moment, he gave up his spirit. I want you to catch that. The power of the Son of God, in which he does not give up his life until everything is finished, and then he determines, he chooses, and he acts, and gives up his spirit. It's finished. I'm done. And that was it. 
John declares it and tries to help us understand it. John chapter 19. Let's read it. We're going to start a little farther down. Last week we talked about the issue of Pilate and the fact that he would hand them over to be crucified. So we're going to start at verse 17. At verse 17. It says, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, but he carried his own cross, and he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, with Jesus in the middle. Now, Pilate had a notice prepared. He fastened it to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate. They said, don't write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, they divided them into four shears, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, we don't want to tear that up. Let's decide by casting lots, dice, who will get it. This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Now near the cross stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the mother of the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and that's the underlining scripture. Later, knowing, Jesus knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant. They lifted it up to Jesus' lip. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Now, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate, please have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came who had been crucified and the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. They broke their legs and then that of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies 
so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one that they have pierced. Father, today we ask that you would continue to clarify the truth of your word here and help us to understand how Jesus' clarification that everything was finished applies to us in relationship to our life with you and our life here on earth. Direct us, teach us, guide us. Holy Spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John writes down these series of truths for us to understand how Jesus' death applies to each one of us personally. Because it is finished, we can experience new life. Because it's experience, because it's finished, we can experience new life. So John 19:18 says, "There they crucified him with him two others, one on each side with Jesus in the middle." Now, today what I want to talk about is the finished work of Christ and an understanding of how that applies to us personally and changes everything in how we interact with God our Father. Someone has put it this way. They said all religions in the world today could be classified or spelled with two simple letters. And those letters are D-O, do. If you do this and you do that, then you can have this. Christianity, however, is the oddball. Christianity is spelled with four letters. Those letters are simple. The letters are D-O-N-E. Done. It's finished. It's over. It's all been provided for you. See, Christianity is not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has already done. And our difficulty in our walk with God is we continue to try to put ourselves in a position where we act as if what we do somehow establishes our relationship with God and tells others that we are a Christian. But the reality is this. You can do nothing, nothing to add to your relationship with the Father or to gain greater footing with Him or to cause Him to love you more or to experience in your life greater freedom. You can do nothing. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear what? Much fruit, much fruit. Now, if you stand next to an orange tree or an apple tree, you won't hear a lot of groaning going on. At the proper time, you'll simply see fruit that is produced as a result of staying rooted. Jesus says, if you stay rooted in me, despite the fact that you're a jerk, I fill that in for me. You will bear much fruit. Because it's finished. It's finished. I did it all. You are an inadequate plant that cannot produce anything. Unless you abide in me, then you can produce everything. 
It's not about you. It's about me. What I have done, it is finished. Interesting. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, there's this beginning process in which God shows the first creation. And by the way, you are the second creation. That's why it's called being born again. The first creation is a wondrous picture of God in a seven-day period, actually six-day period, provides this amazing earth upon which we rest and enjoy. And at the end of that time, he uses some interesting words. He says, thus the heavens and the earth were, guess what word he uses? Finished. Finished. They were completed. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so he rested. I say, so God showed it off. He said, look what I have done. Take a look at this. Isn't this marvelous? Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. You can't do it, but you can enjoy it. I made it for you. I produced it for you. Rest and enjoy all that I have done. All of God's creative work was finished after the sixth day. Everything that could be or ever would be created was finished. Nothing could be added. There's nothing we can ever do to add to God's creation. We can rearrange parts of it. We can use it, but we cannot add to it. The work was finished. So John 19, verse 28 through 30, it says, So when Jesus knew that everything had been what? Finished. He said, after he took a bit of the thirst sponge place to his lips, said, that's done. Scripture's fulfilled. It's finished. And he gives up his spirit. At that point in time, his heart bursts. It's done. There's no blood left to be given. There's nothing else left to be done. He said, I've finished it. It's done. It's over. I love it when I finish things. I love it. I finally got that done. I love checklists because when I get them over with, I go, yes, now I can go what? Play. Have fun. Rest. Enjoy. Hey, we got an hour of rest. Wasn't that great? Enjoy. I love having an extra hour of rest. Jesus says, I want you to rest the rest of your life. I want you to rest in me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's finished. It's finished. The struggle of Christians I see over and over and over again is because we won't accept the fact that it's finished. It's done. We work hard and we get in His way. We keep messing up. Because we won't simply allow him to do what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it in the time that he wants it done. You see, now we no longer act out of this sense of I've got to do this, but we begin to act out of this sense of this is what I want to do. I've been changed. He finished me and now I've got these works that he set aside and I want to do that. I want to be involved in that. It's who I am. It's now what I do is finished on the cross. He finished everything in my life. All my sins are taken away. 
And then he made me into a new person and he changed me. And now I no longer want to be involved in sin. I I want to do the things he set aside for me to do. I want to do the right things. And God says, abide in me and I in you. And then you will. I said, but Lord, I know a better way. I'll do it my way. And he says, it doesn't work. Forty years later, I'm still busy trying to do it my way. God says, will you just rest? Will you just rest? It's finished. I've done it all. You can't do anything. And he shows off his work, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, take a look at what all I've done. My whole life was given for you. Look at it. It's finished. He did everything so we could be somebody. He did everything. It is finished. He's the author and the finisher of our salvation. It's his work, his grace, his love that changed us. It's like a a nuclear spring. We know about a nuclear winter, right? That's when all life ceases to exist. But a nuclear spring, a supernatural nuclear spring is when all life begins. And that's what Jesus is saying on the cross. It's like, boom, and this huge cloud falls out of the entire earth and it doesn't stop there. It continues on until the end of time. Supernaturally grabbing a hold of anyone that interacts with the cloud and giving them an opportunity to experience freedom and hope and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and all the stuff that we all want but we don't know how to get a hold of because it's invisible. God says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. It's finished. It's finished. I've done it all. Listen to me. Rest in me. See, that was the next thing in Genesis 2. Two. Then he goes on. He says, now from now on the seventh day, you're supposed to what? Rest. And on the seventh day, you're, you're to rest. And the rest was entered into creation. And he didn't set up as a legalistic burden, which is immediately what man began to do. Oh, here's how we can determine if you're resting or not. Do any of you have a problem about knowing when you're resting? I don't have a problem knowing when I'm resting. I know when I'm resting. I know when I'm not. God says, I want you to enter into this rest. Not just the rest of Jesus is going to give later. But right now, I want you to enter into this rest of my creation. All that I've done. Sit back and enjoy now. I've done a great job. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. That's the cry of God. Rest in reflection of all the wonderful works that God had done. Later, rest in the fact that God had delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. Rest in the fact that he'd saved them from Pharaoh. He delivered them from their enemies, not by their own power, but by his magnificent supernatural outpouring. He says, I did it. I brought you out. I rescued you. Rest in that fact. The rest is pictured in Genesis, proclaimed by the law, promised by the, prom- by the prophets, and then provided in Christ. In Hebrews 4, it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, be careful. Be careful that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. A rest is provided in Christ. He says, rest in it because therein lies your salvation. Therein lies the reality of what God has done. Therein lies your opportunity. Everything is there. 
There's a lot of comedians that they talk about when you get into a plane, I'm, I'm going to go on a plane here in just a little bit. I'm going to fly off. I'll get in the plane, and you know what I'll do after I get inside the plane? Once it takes off and I get over my fear, okay? I'm going to rest. I'm going to sit there. And it's amazing. I'd like to say, why when you stand up do you not get hit in the face with the rest of the plane coming your way? What's going on? This is really odd. If you really think, you start going, there's a lot of weird things going on here that we're able to rest in this seat and watch it take us thousands and thousands of miles and minutes. We're like, wow, this is cool. This is great. And it's such a wonderful picture of Jesus saying, sit down. Sit down. Let me take you where I want you to go. Rest in me, and I'll take you there. This wondrous picture. Picture a sailboat. Whatever you need. He's saying, sit down. Rest in me. Don't try to gain your own salvation. All you will gain is more and more of a sense of inability and inadequacy. It's finished. It's done. It's over. Rest in me. Now, the law didn't go away, but some parts of the law were fulfilled through what Jesus had done. The Sabbath law was one of them. It had been fulfilled. Jesus, earlier through God the Father, had put this into place. He said, look back at my creation. Remind yourself of what I've done. Now he says, look forward to my son. And now those of us can look back to the son and say, look what he has done for us. We no longer find our rest in the Sabbath. We find our rest in Jesus. Now, the Jews lost their rest. They didn't find it in the wilderness. They didn't find it in the exile. They didn't find it in the promised land. They didn't find it in the prophets themselves. God is saying, don't lose out. Rest in the promise that I have provided. I don't know how many of you are mathematicians that think of John up there, who is this you know, engineer, mathematician guy who understands algebra. And geometry. It just goes on and on and on. But I understand a little bit. I don't understand a fair amount of psychology which follows the same framework. And it's this. Once you grasp something, it's like something clicks and you understand it. In math, it's like, oh, I get this equation. I understand how this works. And from that point on, you're able to use it to accomplish this end. And you no longer say, I don't see how this can work. You know it works. So you simply fall through with it. And the result is a finished product, whatever it may be that you put together. And Jesus is trying to tell us, look it. I've finished it all, and what will happen is as you continue to rest in me, you'll begin bit by bit by bit from math to algebra to geometry to various other areas of physics to begin to grasp what I have done. And as you grasp that truth, it will set you free. And you'll be able to rest in this wonderful recognition of what Jesus meant when he said, it is finish so we take this promise and we abide in it we find ourselves walking through what we call the abcs we admit that we are sinners and we need confession before god and we say lord forgive me and cleanse me and help me and he remakes us again it starts all over not from the back but from that last step we took and he continues to change us and to change us and to change us and we believe that jesus is not only the son of god he's the son of god who finished everything 
He's the one who died on the cross, not just for forgiveness of my sins, but so that he could pour out the promise of new life. So it was water in the blood, not just the blood, but water in the blood. And the water was representative of the spirit of God poured out upon all mankind. He gave up his spirit so the spirit of God might flow upon everybody. That was his directive. That was his clarification. I must go so that you can receive the spirit of God upon each one of you. I can't be there for everybody, but the Holy Spirit can. And when he comes upon you, he'll bring you understanding and comprehension of what I mean when I say it is finished. Enter into my rest. So if we walked all the way from there into Hebrews, talking to us about the need to finish, to be involved in the rest of Christ, and even to Revelation itself, where once again we see the simple words in Revelation chapter 20, it is finished. It's finished. It's finished. It's the cry of God over and over and over again. And sometime in the future, we don't know exactly when. We know it's closer today than yesterday. After a time of tribulation like the world has never known. After the final battle where Satan and his demons are cast into the lake of fire. After all these things, a new heaven, a new earth will appear. And Jesus pronounces for the final time, it's finished. Done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give freely of the water of life. I will be their God and they will be my children. Salvation completed with the gift of rest. For everyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So today, as we share in this special time that we refer to as the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is we are resting in what Christ has done. We find ourselves walking over here and we take of this juice and we take of this bread and it all reminds us that as we eat of this that we gain new life. That as we grab a hold of this that we enter into new life. That Jesus did everything. That's what we remember. We remember it is finished. It's over. It's done. Enter into my rest. Enjoy the wonder of forgiveness and hope and peace and love. And finally, everything is cleansed. Let's watch this simple clip and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. Jesus died on the cross. All of the sins of all mankind were brought to bear on his body. In that one place, in that one time. And the only thing that held that body up under that kind of strain was the power of the Son of God himself. So when he had received the drink, he said, it's finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit so that you could experience the Spirit of God. So he gives up control of his body and there's this supernatural nuclear plant meltdown. And the power of God is poured out upon all creation. Jesus was placed on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. And he dies at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. At the temple, the first Passover sacrifice was made at 9 o'clock in the morning. The last sacrifice was given at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. As Jesus dies, the final sacrificial lamb is put to death. Now, interestingly enough, because of all the blood that was, we talked about last week that had been shed with these literally hundreds of thousands of lambs that were put to death, the priests had put together this specialized water system by which they would water down the grounds and push the water and the blood 
out through the pipes onto the Kidron Spring. And if you looked out upon the spring and saw these pipes coming out, you would see the pipes and flowing out of the pipes were a mixture of blood and water. And John says, I saw Jesus dead. And then the soldier pierced his side and out of his side came the same thing. Blood and water. Declaring to us that supernaturally, God had provided us with the Passover lamb so that everyone could receive freedom from death and the ability to live out life if they would rest in what Jesus had done and whom he had provided. This is an amazing, wondrous picture. John says, I know he was dead. I want to clarify you. I want you to understand. He died, but he died as a sacrifice for our sins. The blood was given as a sacrifice for our sins. The water represents the Spirit of God poured out to deal with each one of us individually and our sin nature. So Christ is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, as John says in the beginning of his ministry. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I want you guys to grab a hold. We're going to share in this real simple thing that's called a responsive reading. You have it with you right now. And we're going to read together this responsive reading, and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to explain it a little bit, and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. It's also going to be up here for you to look at if you don't have that sheet of paper in front of you. All right? I'll start, and then you respond in the yellow or the red areas here. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Wow. 
Thank you, Lord. You see, because it's finished, we're able to share in this new promise. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to the apostles and said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this to remember me. You could say to remember that I did everything, to remember that it's finished. You see, the lambs had no choice in the Passover process. But Jesus did. He gave it for you. A sinless life given in place of your sin-filled life. His purpose was to give you purpose. It not only changes our position in relationship to the penalty of sin, it changes us in relationship to our predisposition to sin. You see, after I became a Christian, I no longer wanted to sin. But before, I delighted in sin. I rejoiced in my sin. I wallowed in my sin. I couldn't wait to sin. But everything changed. Everything changed when I recognized that it is finished. I received from the Lord by I passed on to you the Lord Jesus that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the night he was betrayed. It's not just about you. It's about all those whom you know. It's finished. Enter into his rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup, it's the new agreement that God makes with his people. This new promise, this new covenant begins with my blood, which has been poured out to you. He closes the door to death and he opens the door to life. He gives us a transfusion of blood. That was universal for all. It was blood that would remove sin and reject any disease that would lead to death. Ebola, not a problem with this blood. The old sin nature stopped God growth. Once you get that, the old sin nature stopped God growth. But the new nature, it nurtures it. It lives by it. It rejoices in it. We accept the transfusion and we discover this change. And it deals with our sin and our sin nature. And like people report of a change as a result of a transplanted heart, so we are self-experiencing that as well on a consistent, regular basis as followers of Christ. And we find ourselves crying out in relationship to our old person that wanted to live in this way. It's finished. It's, it's finished. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember who I am, who I was, what I did and who you are. And as you approach the cross of Christ on a daily basis, you touch it and you should say to yourself three simple words. It is finished. It's finished. And enter into his rest. I'm going to ask Tim and Susan to come up here and take group here. Uh, Chris, is Danielle there with you? Why don't you do it on your own, buddy? I'll bet you can handle it. And in the back, I've got our associate pastors handling that one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chance in which we are reminded of the finished work of your son on the cross and of the wondrous 
blessing that you give us, that you trust us so much and love us so much that you say, just do what I ask you to do. Enter into my rest. Rejoice in who I am. Recognize my love. And so we do today. We remember what Jesus has done. We remember what took place on the cross. And we enter into your rest this day, this moment. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to go side to side or to the back. Come down, take a bit of the bread, a bit of juice. And I want to encourage you to walk by the cross. Maybe see to yourself. It's finished as you walk through. And allow God to speak to your heart.